Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. 2 verse 8, uh, this says this, And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I want to focus in on the, this, uh, the shepherds in the Christmas story. Because the reality is we're pretty far removed from uh, the job of shepherd. I'd be willing to bet that you don't know of anyone who graduated college with a shepherding degree. Uh, you may not even have ever met an actual shepherd. Uh, shepherding in the ancient world was a humble occupation. Uh, shepherds didn't make, didn't make very much money. Uh, and it says they lived out in the fields nearby. So they didn't have much of a social life. And uh, they weren't climbing the corporate ladder in order to reach positions of leadership. They weren't high profile in society. It was just a humble way to make a living. In fact, shepherd uh, was a common occupation that had uh, a daily routine. The daily routine of a shepherd would have been that in the morning, uh, the shepherds, along with the flocks, uh, would search for pasture. Uh, and I don't know if you realize this or think about this, but if you live out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over your flocks at night, and each day you have to find pasture or new pasture, uh, this is a very nomadic life. Nomadic meaning they're moving all around. They're, they're constantly on the move. So in the morning, the shepherds, along with the flock, would search for the pasture, uh, living this nomadic life. After finding pasture, they would have a midday rest, because it was at midday that the risk of, of danger to the sheep uh, were, was very low, and so the sheep and the shepherd at midday would take a rest. And then at day's end, it was time for the night watch. Uh, this was the dangerous time when the sheep were most at risk, and so as the scripture tells us, the shepherds would keep watch over their flocks by night. And so you find pasture, you rest, and you keep watch, and then you rinse and repeat, uh, day after day after day. There was nothing particularly special about this work, and yet the angels appeared to shepherds in order to announce the birth of Christ. Now, if you were a king at this time and you had heard the story of the angelic announcement to shepherds, uh, you would have no doubt had one overwhelming thought. And that thought would have been, you know what? They don't deserve that. In fact, if you were in any position of leadership that sort of in the, in the hierarchy of life would have been considered above the shepherds, and then you start hearing rumors and stories of, of the angelic announcement of a kingly birth, but it was made to shepherds, uh, you would have had such a negative reaction to that. You would have, you, you would have uh, just thought to yourself, they simply don't deserve it. Why someone so lowly, so humble, so undeserving, why would it come to them of all people? Uh, you would have certainly said they are unworthy of such an announcement. You know, every TV show that depicts high school life exaggerates the differences and the different social groups that can so easily be identified uh, at that time of life, right? Uh, you have the athletes. Uh, when I was in high school, we used to call them jocks, uh, but I'm not so sure that's politically correct anymore. Uh, so we'll say the athletes. And then uh, you have the nerds. Right, the nerds, those who will eventually be in charge of the companies where the athletes work. <laughs> the truth hurts. The truth hurts, I'm just saying. Uh, then you have the popular kids, the popular kids who are too cool for school. Then you have the theater kids who are just like always in character, right? 
Uh, it's just like you never know quite what's going on with them. Um, and so, and we laugh at this, and we, we especially laugh at sort of the, the way this is exaggerated in TV shows, right? Uh, when I was growing up, it was Saved by the Bell. I don't know what it, what it is now. It's just, it's always Saved by the Bell in my mind. Like these, <laughs> these just this hard and fast line and these over-exaggeration of these, these social groups. And we laugh at this, um, and we find it comical, but man, can we just be honest and say for a moment that that not a lot changes once we reach adulthood, right? It's just that the classifications are different. We still tend to divide ourselves into neat little groups, neat little groups like those who live in a nice neighborhood, uh, those who our parents, you know, but, but even as parents, we sort of divide ourselves based on the gifts, talents, and abilities of our kids, right? So you end up with a, a subgroup called parents of smart kids, right? Or, or, or parents of kids who go to this school, or, or parents of kids who do this, and, and we just like, we, we so neatly divide ourselves over all of these kinds of things, and, and we don't find it comical anymore because we're like, we're right in the middle of it, right? Like once you kind of remove yourself from high school, you find it comical how clear the lines are, but when you're in the middle of it, it's a lot harder. We also tend to divide ourselves based on the classification of jobs, right? So there's the laborer, there's the executive or the professional. Uh, When I was in seminary, I worked in a warehouse of a book publisher. Uh, So I didn't do anything with the books except uh, stack them, shrink shrink wrap them, and store them. That's what I did with the books. Um, so I was working in the warehouse of this book publisher, and across the street is where all the offices were held. It's where the, the marketing department and the, and the editing and editors and all of those uh, folks worked and, and, and li- I almost said lived, but I guess they didn't live there. They just worked there. Uh, but it wasn't just Troost Avenue uh, that divided us while we were sort of the lowly blue-collar workers and they were the white-collar workers who had degrees and were paid salaries instead of paid hourly. They looked down on us for being unintelligent and sloppy. We looked down on them because of their business-casual khakis. <laughs> you see, the possibilities of, of marking ourselves into different groups are almost endless. And let's be honest, to not do this is incredibly difficult. And then what we tend to do is we tend to bring this same mindset right back into the church. We look at people and we think to ourselves, you know, they would be a good fit. And then we look at other people and we think to ourselves, oh, they're not going to fit. And we might be thinking about the church overall. We might be thinking about our own church. We might be thinking about all kinds of different things. But the reality is, is, So many times we're so fast to make sort of snap judgments about who belongs and who doesn't, who's in and who isn't. Sometimes I've heard this said, in fact, I've I've said these very same things. I've said, I've looked at someone, I've uh, drawn all the proper boundaries of around them of being either in or out. And then I, and then I say something like, you know, they would, they would be a great Christian, and I know what we mean by that. I know what, that what we mean by that is that they have tremendous potential for the kingdom of God. But uh, sometimes a lot of the ways in which it comes across is, is we're, we're giving them value based on a whole set of things that really isn't related at all to whether they have faith in Christ or not. Uh, and, and so 
when we, when we think about it in that terms, we realize just how ridiculous this is because there's no such thing as a great Christian. Every single person in the eyes of God has unsurpassable worth, right? And so I wonder if we could just be honest, uh, honest enough for just a moment to admit to ourselves that sometimes we deem some people more worthy of the good news than others. That, that there are times when we, we sort of, we, we look at someone and we, we make all sorts of immediate judgments based on uh, maybe level of income or brand of clothing or uh, apparent economic status or where their kids go to school or on and on and on and on. And, and we, we say, oh, they're not a Christian or they are a Christian. And if they're not a Christian, we sometimes deem them more worthy for the good news than others. And just as it's incredibly hard to not sort of draw these distinctions around ourselves, let's just also be honest for a moment. That's incredibly hard not to deem some people more worthy of the good news of the gospel than others. You might be thinking to yourself at this point in the message, I thought this was a message about shepherds, and that's where we started, but now all of a sudden we're here. Um, The announcement to the shepherds demonstrates to us this key truth. And that is that the gospel is for everyone. That the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people. You see, in the division of people into groups, shepherds would have likely been toward the bottom because there was nothing that would make them a part of the society at that time that would uh, make them special or important or, or, or uh, distinct at, at all. There was really nothing about a shepherd. Shepherding was, was actually one of the most common uh, forms of making a living. And so there was really nothing at all that would separate them as being worthy for the announcement. And yet the announcement of the word of God made flesh comes to them. And it is in its own way, it is this subversive way of showing and, and demonstrating to us that the gospel is for Everyone, The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ comes to all people. In fact, I want you to see the irony. That was part of the shepherd's announcement. It's good news for all people. And they're making it to the shepherds, the most lowly of people. I want you to see the irony of that, right? And and the shepherds are like, yeah, you're making this announcement to us. In fact, well, actually, let's look at it this way. If the announcement had come to the king... Or anyone that was sort of in a position of, of high, like high up on the hierarchy, the, the announcement of the angels that this is for all people, there would have to be a learning curve for that person of high importance to recognize that it is, in fact, for all people. But if you make that announcement and you make it to the lowly, the most common of occupations, then there's no learning curve. The shepherds are immediately able to say, yes, of course. This good news is for all people. And so it's the, the announcement to the shepherds is this subversive way of just telling them, telling the world at the time, and telling all generations that will follow that the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ is for all people. And I want you to just let that sink in for a moment. The gospel 
of Jesus Christ is for every person. Not just those who you deem worthy, not just those whom you deem acceptable or good enough, not just those who you think would be a good fit or who are like you, not just the people that you think are not a lost cause, right? Sometimes we look at people and we say, oh, they're just, they're a lost cause. Part of the, part of the news of Christmas is that there's no such thing as a lost cause. There's no one too far removed from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the gospel is for people who live in that neighborhood, who dress like that, who, who, who have that job or don't have a job, or whose kids do that. <laughs> and since the gospel is for everyone, then the church is also to respond accordingly to the, to the people who walk through our doors or to the people whom we are called to reach. And so, the truth is, if, I mean, if I needed to announce the birth of the Son of God, I probably wouldn't have done it to the shepherds. Because it really doesn't make any sense at all. Except for the fact that at the very same time that it doesn't make any sense, it also makes total sense. It makes total sense because there wouldn't be a learning curve. The, the good news is for all people to which the shepherds are like, let's go and tell people this thing that we have heard about, right? The shepherds go and do what shepherds do. They, they lead other people into this good news, this proclamation of the gospel that is good for all people. And so on one hand, the announcement to the shepherds absolutely makes no sense at all. Why would you do this? But on the other hand, it makes total sense because not only was shepherding a humble occupation, it was also a critically important one. It was also a critically important one because the shepherds had the responsibility of caring for and feeding and protecting the sheep. And guess what? Sheep were a vital part of any ancient economy. If you don't have shepherds, then the entire uh, infrastructure of the economy completely falls apart. And so without the unnoticed work of the shepherds, the local economies would have suffered significant damage. And so while it was a humble occupation, it was also a very honorable one and a critically important one at that. In fact, let me tell you this, shepherd becomes the motif for leadership in the Bible. And so in this, in this one verse, and the shepherds were living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night, you have this, all this, this, this loaded message. And the shepherds is this imagery of leadership in the scriptures. And it's often used to describe God's leadership or care over us, but as is always true, it's also a call for us then on uh, how we ought to be in leadership over others as a shepherd. And so this, this, this motif, this word picture of shepherd is, is used to describe God's care and shepherding care over us, but it's also used to describe how we should be in leadership over others. Now, in case you might think, oh, well, I'm not in leadership, uh, th- that simply isn't true. You have a circle of influence, whether it's uh, friends, family, there is someone who looks to you as a leader. If you are a parent, you have built-in leadership in your home. Uh, you have been entrusted with these little lives 
to, to guide them. And, and scripture calls us to guide them as shepherds. Now, it's interesting to me that, that uh, when, sh- when choosing to describe leadership, God does not uh, choose the obvious positions of importance uh, or high uh, on the hierarchy of, of uh, influence, but rather like maybe a king. Maybe a king would be a great motif, right, for, for leadership in the scriptures. But instead, God chooses this, this motif of shepherd, it's interesting, though, that he didn't choose king. The role of a king is actually to care for all the people in his kingdom. Uh, but too often, uh, the power of the kingdom corrupts, and so many kings, and we see this throughout Scripture, so many kings uh, ruled with self-interest. In fact, that's what makes, that's what makes Christ the, the perfect king, is that he, uh, he is able to handle uh, the power and authority without becoming self-absorbed. Uh, That Jesus Christ is king to us, but he's king to us as one whose heart is always facing the other. In fact, that's part of the beauty of the Trinity. The Trinity means that this one God exists, though, in community, always being focused toward the other, in relationship to the other. And so God steps into his kingdom as king, not who is one who is self-absorbed, but rather as one who is continually focused toward the other and for the benefit of the other. And that's how God lives leads us as a shepherd who cares for the other. And so King wouldn't have been such a great example for teaching us uh, about what it's like to be in relationship over others because we tend to be, when given any kind of power, bent towards self-interest. And so the picture of what Christ's kingship looks like for us is that of a shepherd. And that points us to how he cares for us. He cares for us with tremendous tenderness. I'm reminded of the Old Testament story uh, where the prophet Elijah goes out to hear the voice of God and it says it wasn't in the thunder and it wasn't in the lightning and it wasn't in the violent wind, yet the voice of God was in, in the whisper. That the ways in which God deals with us are so often with just very, very tender, loving care and watch over us. This picture of the old man in the sky looking to catch us doing something wrong and, and strike us with lightning or this, this, this picture of God sort of booming these things into our life and making these huge adjustments, while sometimes that may be true, more often than not, God is a shepherd who is just leading us, guiding us, directing us, very, very tenderly working in our lives. In fact, I learned something about shepherds that I've never known before this week that I think is really interesting and a, and a phenomenal word picture for God's care over our lives. When the shepherd needed to move the flock uh, in a new, uh, to a new pasture, uh, the shepherd would not drive the sheep uh, like uh, a cowboy would drive cattle, right? The, you, cowboys uh, drive cattle by leading them from behind and, and scaring them in the direction that they want to go, right? And, and so they, they, they push them from behind by making noise and, and, and basically striking the cattle with fear in order to move them to the next spot. Uh, but a shepherd doesn't move the flock that way. A shepherd goes out ahead of the flock and then calls them to follow him. In other words, he doesn't lead from behind with fear. He leads from ahead 
counting on the trust of the flock to follow him. It becomes this beautiful picture of God's leadership, care, and shepherding in our lives. That if, if God is, if we perceive that God is, is leading us by fear, or if we're being driven by fear, then we can almost certainly say this is not God leading us. This is, this is some other force. This is some other uh, entity. This is, this is something else. But if we hear sort of the tender, small whisper that's going out ahead of us and calling us, and calling us then to respond in trust and obedience, we can almost certainly say, this is the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ in our lives. Because he does not drive us from behind and strike us with fear to move us, but rather calls us and invites us. And so when announcing the birth of the king, the angels appear to the shepherds. And upon hearing the good news, they then do what shepherds do. They go and tell others, leading the way, proclaiming that the good news is for all people. Today, if I had any wish for us as a church, it would be that we really come to know, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, that the gospel is for all people that the good news is made available to everyone. And they may not fit the boundaries of what we deem comfortable or acceptable or whatever. Um, but we need to, I, I, I'm more and more convinced that we need to let go of the boundaries that we tend to draw. And then I would also invite us to come to know the loving care of the shepherd the good shepherd. May we know his voice. May we follow him in trust and obedience. And may we be kept from fear and responding with fear and being driven by fear. But rather, may we know the peace of Christ and follow his leading in our lives. I got to thinking about what, the, what would this look like today if, if we were still longing for and anticipating after hundreds, maybe thousands of years, longing for the coming of the Messiah. And he was born to us in our world as a little baby. And the angels needed to make an announcement. What would it look like and to whom would they go to make this announcement? Would they go to the leaders of the world? Uh, would they go to CEOs of tech companies? I think, I think it would be like the announcement of Jesus' birth coming to night janitors. Because on the corporate ladder, the janitor is, well, toward the bottom. It's an invisible 
thankless job that no one notices until the job isn't done right. On Monday night, I got a text that the alarm had gone off here at the church. So I, this was 9 o'clock on Monday night. So I came, and I thought, oh, great. What am I going to be facing, you know, just a couple weeks before Christmas? And I came, and it was the folks who clean our church. They hadn't forgotten to disarm the alarm. And so I came in, and, and I saw the work that they were doing and vacuuming the sanctuary And to be honest with you, I had a hard time communicating. Hey, the alarm has gone off. I fixed it. I've taken care of it. It's no problem. Um, Because they spoke very broken English. But I realized, here are folks whom, outside of forgetting to disarm the alarm, I would never see. And they're doing their best to make a living. And so, the night janitor... It's a thankless, invisible job. But you know what? It's an honorable job. It's an honorable job because it's a critical job. Because cleaning, let's be honest, the cleaning that they do helps to prevent the spread of disease. It helps to make sure that that customers have positive experiences in businesses and shopping centers. It helps to ensure that workers and employees can be more productive and clean and organized environments. It makes sure in schools that teachers can focus on investing in the students rather than on a dirty classroom full of trash and debris. You see, you take the role of janitor away and lots of things start to run amok. Oh, and by the way, if you announce it, to those working overnight or swing shift, you don't have a learning curve to announce that the good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone, for all people. Amen? Amen.